You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. Amen. All right, we're going to now move into our time of studying the Word. And uh, if this is your first time with us or first time in a while, we have been journeying through the book of Acts for the better part of the last year and a half. And we've had breaks along the way for holidays and those different things. Uh, But now we're here at the very tail end of the race, if you will, for the book of Acts. We've got a few more weeks left in this study. And uh, today in particular, we are in the book of Acts chapter 25. Uh, verses number 13 through 27. And you can see there on the screen, it says living for Jesus. And um, I will tell you, uh, this sermon today, it's a little bit of a different type format than what I usually do. You know, I typically will give you a point and use some of the text that is right there within that point. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to walk us through the text, and then I'm going to give us some applicable points at the end. That's I wrestled with the Lord on how to do this this week with this passage, and that's what he drew me to. So uh, if it's a little bit different than normal, just follow along. You'll see the points that are there, and you can take notes along the way. But I want to ask you, before we dive into the text itself, have you ever been challenged with something uh, that you know is true, yet the person or the persons that are there uh, going back and forth, arguing with you in the process, they are going counter to what you're saying, although you know it's the truth. If you've ever been there, that's a very difficult thing, right? It's difficult because you know what you're saying is true. You, you know it because you've seen it, you've experienced it, and yet that person is saying, no, that's not right. No, that's not right. The question I have for you regarding that is, how did you respond in that moment? How did you respond? Was it hard? Was it, was it hard to hold your tongue? Was it hard to get maybe frustrated or to stand your ground and to push forward on it? Was there moments where you were able to say, you know what, I disagree, but you offered grace and peace in that moment? I think about the Apostle Paul and everything that he's been through over these last several weeks, especially that we've been reading. Just the last two weeks, you remember he was imprisoned for two years. And then we, as Pastor Walter was talking last week, we, we had this whole thing of injustice that's been done against Paul. And now we come to this point today where it's this little piece in between. We're, we're finishing up 25. We're, we're finishing up this account of of. of Paul being there imprisoned and wanting to be brought before Caesar and Festus is there and he's he's trying to figure out what he needs to do because honestly he's confused and he gets an unexpected guest that shows up for a complimentary visit and in doing so he's able to describe the account of the things that we've been studying all the while Paul is still waiting to go before the governor now This is that little segue in the middle between the two weeks, because next week we're going to see as we go into 26, what happens from this account today. But as I wrestled with this text this week, there were some things that really stood out specifically from something that Festus says when he's talking before Agrippa, when he meets him today. So I'm going to ask if you would, it's a shorter passage today. If you would, let's stand quickly to honor the reading of God's word. It'll be on the screen for you. And then I'll take us through the passage. Chapter 25, starting in verse 13. 
Now when some days had passed, Agrippa, the king, of Berne- the king and Bernice, arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. As they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews, they laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone. Before the accused met an accuser's face face, face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay. But on the next day, I took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accuser stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom God, who Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem, and he tried and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Felix, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came and with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought to live no longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write into my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Excuse me. Father, I pray, Lord, that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing unto you, Lord, that you'd have your way in this time. We give it to you now in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So Paul's life can be seen before us as a model, as a model of how we're to live our lives to bring God glory. Let's look again back at verse 13. Now, when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. We we see from this text here that King Agrippa and Bernice, they've come in after some days. And King Agrippa, who is he? (coughs) Excuse me. He's Herod Agrippa II. And he's there on this complimentary visit, this complimentary visit, coming to see, and he's there with Bernice. Now, Bernice, just so you're aware, she's known as the queen. She's not married to Agrippa. She is actually his sister, okay? And so they're there on this trip together. They're going to visit. And to give you some family context, this Agrippa here, he is the grandson of Herod the Great. He's the son of Herod Agrippa, who was responsible for the murder of James. He was responsible for the imprisonment of Peter. <coughs> Frog in the throat. Sorry, y'all. 
and he was killed as a result of God's judgment. If you remember back from our study through the book of Acts, when we were back in Acts chapter 12, he was actually greeted, if you will, by the angel of the Lord, and he was knocked dead, and he was eaten by worms because he wouldn't bring God glory. That's this man's father. Now, Agrippa II, as he's there on this visit, he's reputed to be an expert in Jewish religious questions, which would be part of the reason as to why Festus sees this opportunity to ask him these things of Paul. Let's look again at 14 through 17 together. As they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there's this man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met and the accusers face to face had opportunity to make a defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. See, Festus sees this good opportunity before him with this arrival of Agrippa to help him figure out what is it that can be done with Paul. It's a good opportunity because Festus needed to send Paul to Rome to the emperor to to be laid there before Caesar so that he can give the charges and to help Caesar to understand, hey, I'm writing you and sending you this man because of fill in the blank. And Festus is at a loss for words. He doesn't know what to put in his report because he doesn't necessarily see an issue with anything that's been brought up of Paul. He begins to describe what all has taken place regarding Paul, but he's obviously doing it from a Gentile perspective. He is a Gentile. <clears throat> and he's, he's got this information that he's trying to figure out to give to Caesar. Now, 18 and 19 tell us, When the accuser stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I suppose. He had some preconceived ideas of maybe they're going to say this, maybe they'll say that. No, 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 no. He says in 19, rather they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. See, Festus is making this point to show that when the time came for the court regarding these accusations to be brought against Paul, the issues, they all seem to be about the Jewish people. He's like, why are you here? I don't understand what the point is. But notice his words there in verse 19. It's a critical verse for us to see in this passage. And if we're not careful, we'll see the verse, we'll see what Festus says back to Agrippa and Bernice and anybody else that's there listening and we'll skim through it real quick and we'll pass it in the text. And I love how the, love, the, the, the Lord's word is living and active and how it does this. When we read through a verse, we can see it so quickly. But there's those moments where a verse is just so quick to breeze by that the Holy Spirit's like, slow down. Don't miss what is there. What do you mean, Brian? There's a couple of things that Festus says. He says there, a certain Jesus who was dead. Now, see, Festus, he's this man that just views Jesus as some random guy, some random guy that lived like you and I lived, that, that like he lived, he breathed, and, and then he died, and that's all he takes it as. 
He doesn't see anything significant past that. But he also says there in verse 19, whom Paul asserted to be alive. He points out the fact that the real reason for the dispute is based on Paul's assertion that Jesus was no longer dead. He's saying, hey, Agrippa, the whole reason why these guys are fighting and they're arguing and they want this man dead is because he's telling everybody that there was this guy named Jesus who lived, who died, and who apparently resurrected. How's that possible? This is what this guy Paul is telling them. He's resurrected according to Paul. Paul was confident. It says there in the text that Paul asserted. He was adamant that there wasn't just a word of resurrection. It wasn't just a thought, an opinion that something happened. Jesus truly did resurrect from the grave. How can Paul make these claims? Well, we've already looked at it in detail throughout our study of the book of Acts. But we can go all the way back to Acts 9 with the Damascus Road where Paul is on his way into Damascus to do things that are not good. He was an enemy of Christians. He persecuted them. And yet there on that road to Damascus, he encounters Jesus. And it changed his life. He transformed by what happened there. You have to remember, by the time we got to Acts 9, the resurrection's already taken place. By the time we get to Acts 9... Acts 1.8, you're going to go out into the world. The helper's going to come. You're going to be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Jesus tells the followers that. He ascends into heaven. And then Acts 2 comes, and the Pentecost happens. The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers. By the time we get to Acts 9, Jesus has ascended in heaven. And when he encounters Paul there on the road, Paul even comes to the point where he says, Who are you, Lord? And his life is radically changed there in that moment. Why? Paul experienced Jesus himself. He saw him in that moment. He was confident. He knew it. And as we see in this passage, based on what Festus is saying, the whole point of the resurrection is the whole point of the dispute. It's the whole issue with the people. Now, regarding the resurrection, I want you to kind of bookmark that there for a minute. I'm going to talk about this in some applicable points in just a minute as we finish the text. But let's look there at 20 through 22. Scripture tells us, being at a loss as how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried before regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered for him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. When Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself, tomorrow he said, you will hear him. In a sense, I I have to appreciate Festus's honesty here. I mean, he literally says, I'm at a loss at how to investigate these questions. Let's call it what it is. He's clueless. He's clueless at how to determine Who is accurate here? So when he asked Paul, hey, do you want to go to Jerusalem to be tried before the people? He's like, no. Remember, Paul's a Roman citizen. Paul's like, no, I want to go before Caesar the emperor. Paul says no. 
But notice there, Agrippa's reply back in 22 is reread. I would like to hear the man myself. Now, there's some really beautiful things that we can see from this. Agrippa probably knew enough about what was going on with the Christian moment at this time. I mean, we're at the tail end of Acts. A lot has happened. To where he was somewhat familiar, so he would want to kind of have his ears tickled. He wanted to hear more about what was being said. But we can also notice something here about the timing. See, it's important to notice that God allows Paul's timing to be where he is at the point in time where he's at so that others can hear the gospel. Think about that. He's held in prison for two years. He's had all these injustices made against him, these false accusations. They want the man dead, and he's just waiting. Now, Paul is not the type. He's a hero of the faith, right? The majority of the New Testament written by the man, divinely inspired by the Spirit of God. He is not just sitting back in his jail cell just waiting. No, any opportunity, even while he's in prison, he is proclaiming the gospel to anyone who would listen to him. Paul doesn't just sit back and relax. But in that timing, notice what God does. Two years of being imprisoned. And then at the tail end of that two years, Agrippa just decides to come for a complimentary visit. Like he, He's just coming there just to check things out to see how things are going. And now here in 22, he hears this stuff from Festus and he says, you know what? I want to hear it from the man myself. This divine moment in time where God allows this to happen so that now this man is going to hear the gospel. No sense in waiting. Let's do this tomorrow. I want to hear it from the man myself. Let me ask you something. When's the last time you and I went through something hard and wondered, God, what are you doing? Could it be that the suffering that we have experienced or that we are experiencing is for the sake of the glory of God to be on display so that others may hear what he's done for us? You think about Paul, there's been much suffering that he's been through. Much suffering. And yet every opportunity he gets, he proclaims the gospel. It's real to him. It's changed him. And in the midst of that suffering, just as Scripture tells us, God does not leave him. He's ever present with him in the suffering. He's there to encourage him, to equip him, to remind him of his faithfulness. in the midst of our suffering that we're going through now or that we eventually will go through because it's the result of this fallen world, we're going to suffer. When you're facing the suffering, don't forget that He is with you. And don't miss the opportunities to express what He's done for you even in the midst of it. It can be hard, I know. 
but don't miss it. 23 tells us, so the next day Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp. They, they had this big party of them coming in. They entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus says, 24, King Agrippa and to all who are present with us, see, this is the man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me both in Jerusalem and here shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write about my Lord, to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after I have examined him, after we have examined him, I may have something to write. Look at 27. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. There again, in front of the tribunes, in front of the audience that are there gathered, he recounts again what he told Agrippa the day before. So here we are with Paul. He's standing there. He's waiting. He's waiting. Next week, we're going to see what happens in that moment. But I don't want us to end the text there without looking at some things very quickly that we can see and say, wait a minute, that is very true. I need to apply that to my life. Based on this example of what we've seen from Paul in this passage and the passage from the last two weeks and from everything else that we've encountered with him in Acts from the day of his conversion. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write these down. The first one is this. Jesus' resurrection is controversial. Jesus' resurrection is controversial. We've seen from this text and countless other texts in the Scriptures, especially in our study of Acts, the followers of Jesus face difficult hardship because of the resurrection of their Lord, of our Lord. We've seen in today's text, especially in verse 17, or 19, excuse me, how Festus' view of Jesus and how the resurrection plays into this. You gotta remember the Jewish leaders, the people, they wanted Paul dead because he claimed that Jesus resurrected from the grave. To them, it was blasphemy. To them, it was controversial. Today, though, we all face the same. See, they didn't see Jesus as God. He was just a mere person who had a following of people, but it was all based on lies in their opinion. The same is true of our lost family, friends, neighbors, classmates, coworkers. I don't know if you guys have paid attention, but we're in a very post-Christian world today. We are. It's difficult. And more and more as we progress, it's going to get more and more difficult. You see, the 
people that don't know Jesus, the people that were there in that time that are hearing all this from Paul, they don't see the resurrection as the greatest thing that happened in history as you and I do. No. They see it as a matter of opinion. But see, the reality is that the resurrection isn't just a matter of opinion. It's an actual, real event that took place. How do we know that? Well, we have plenty of places in Scripture that we can see, especially after the resurrection. I meant to put a picture up for you guys. I'll put it in the email this week as I send out, that I send out for, for us to send out to you guys. We have a place on the other side of the world right now One of two places, it's referred to as the garden tomb. There's only two places that they assume is the exact place of Jesus' resurrection, the tomb that he was buried in. One is the more prominent, and it's referred to as the garden tomb. It literally has an opening where the stone was rolled in front, and because there's nobody in there anymore, there are cinder blocks that started to be built to close it up. There's an empty tomb. It's empty, not because, as they said right after the resurrection, and they went to the high priest, hey, his followers might come. They might take him. We need to come up with a plan of how to make it sound like nothing like that happened or that they did take his body or something. But we're telling you, high priest, like we were there at the tomb. The stone was rolled in front, and then boom, this angel comes, and the man is no longer in the tomb. It happened. The tomb is empty there in the garden. More than that, we have the writings from the scriptures that indicate face-to-face interactions with Jesus after he was resurrected. You've already heard me talk about Paul from Acts 9 on the road to Damascus. He encounters the risen Jesus. He says there in this passage today that he asserted, as Festus described. You know what asserted means, right? It means that you confidently and you forcibly defend. Let me ask you a question. I told you at the beginning of the gathering, right right when we started the sermon, I said, have you ever had that moment when you've had something that you know is true, yet somebody is countering you and it drives you bonkers because you're like, no, I know it's true. I've seen it. I've experienced it. This is Paul. He has asserted, I'm telling you, I'm forcibly trying to tell you to the best of my ability, this is real because I've seen it with my own eyes. It means that he confidently and forcibly defended it. The other thing I ask you is, what about the apostles? What about the rest of the apostles? They are the apostles because they experienced the risen Jesus post-resurrection. These are the guys who if it was a matter of opinion or if it was a lie, do you really think they would have given up everything to follow Acts 1-8 as Jesus said to go out into the world, to take the gospel, to abandon everything that you know and possibly love to carry this message out? Do you think they would have abandoned it all to die? 
Because every single one of them did. For the sake of the gospel. The Lord is asking us to do the same as Paul today. He's asking us today, because the resurrection of Jesus is controversial to a lost and dying world, He is asking us to boldly take the gospel to those who are close to us, but far from Him, despite controversy. Which leads me to point two. Boldness presents opportunities. Boldness presents opportunities. You've already heard me say, Paul's been through a lot. We know that. After he encountered Jesus, Jesus tells Ananias to go and find Paul. He's blind. You need to find him. And Ananias is like, wait, whoa, 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 Lord, this is the guy who's been killing all of us. And you want me to go to him? Listen to what Jesus says. Acts 9, 15 through 16. The Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I show him, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Notice right there something that Jesus said to Ananias. We here in Acts 25 are reading the account of it. Paul's about to give his defense of the gospel before King Agrippa. Jesus has made it clear he's an instrument of mine. He's going to carry my name before the Gentiles. He's going to be able to connect with them and get this message out before them. He's going to go before kings. He's going to go before others. He's going to make it clear, but I'm going to let him see how much he's going to suffer for my name. Sure enough, he does. There would be much hardship for Paul. He faced what we've recalled it all thus far through our study of Acts. And over the last three weeks, the trial, the long imprisonment, the false accusations. Today, we've seen that although he could be sent off to Caesar, Agrippa hears the account of what Paul has, has experienced, what has taken place, and he decides that he wants to hear it himself. From this, though, I don't want us to miss the fact of this important point. When we talk about boldness presenting opportunities, when we're authentic in our faith and live a life of obedience to God, pursuing holiness, people see the way we live despite our circumstances and they want to hear and understand why we live the way that we do. That boldness presents opportunity. And we're going to see next week just how these difficulties, these things that he faced, they brought opportunities for boldness in the declaration of the gospel. Which brings me to my last point. There needs to be a necessity of open-handed living. Every Christian has been given something that we do not deserve. It's eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Every Christian has been given something that we cannot earn. Our sins have separated us from God, therefore we need the Redeemer. 
If God willingly gave his son to take the place of our sin and shame, to pay the price for it, it is a gift that has been given to us. And shame on us, you and I included, shame on us if we cling to that gift and we don't give it away. I'm not saying you can give away your salvation. You have that. But don't take what God has done for us and hold tightly to it and say, nope, I'm good, Lord. I, 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 I can't do that. I have this here. I have this fear. I have this anxiety about that. I can't do that. No, no, no. Somebody else can do that. No, if you are a Christian and God has redeemed you, he wants you to boldly live a life open-handedly just like he does with the prophet Isaiah back in Isaiah's book. When he writes and he hears, who can go? He says, Lord, hear him. I send me. Send me. Paul's life is such an incredible example of this. Despite all the hardships he went through. We're still not finished seeing the hardships, by the way. Despite all the hardships he's gone through, he continually had this open-handed approach he knew the joy of what Jesus did for him and he wouldn't stop at any cost to do whatever was needed to proclaim it to any and all who would hear. So I ask this question. Is this true of you and I? Can we really look at our life and say that we're willing to do any and all that the Lord may want us to do to make his name known? And I'd be willing to bet, after looking in the mirror myself, that we want to say yes, but then times will creep in and we're like, I don't know if I could do that. I'm not sure if I could do that. Yesterday, Noah and I, my son Noah, we went to my friend Becca. She's been cutting my hair for several years now, and now Noah goes with me and we make a bro day out of it as we call it. We have fun with each other and we go and get our hair cut and hang out. And yesterday I got there to the little salon in West Ashley that she does her, her hair stuff out of. And we got there and she was still with a lady finishing up her hair. And as we got there and we sat on the couch, Noah uh, just wanted to kind of just kind of lay down and rest. So he was just laying there quietly and she had some worship music playing and I sat there on the couch, and as I sat there, I was just blown away by the peace of the moment. I say, well, what are you getting at, Pastor? Some of you may think I'm a little charismatic with what I say with this. Bear with me. I'm sitting there on the couch, and I'm hearing a little bit of the conversation that's going on with her and the lady. And I can just sit and an overwhelming amount, the presence of God in that place. I remember sitting there and just saying, God, I don't want this to end. Like it was, it was powerful. And I'm just listening to the music and I'm, I'm trying not to get loud because I'm singing along with the songs and just taking it all in there in that moment. And she finishes with the lady and she, the lady leaves and Becca comes in, and it's just me and Noah and Becca there at that point. I said, Becca, come over here and sit in this chair. She's like, okay. She comes, she sits down, and 
It's very quiet. And she's just kind of sitting there like, Brian, you're not saying anything. Like, what's going on? I said, can you feel it? She said, can I feel what? I said, I feel just an overwhelming amount of the Lord's presence right now in this place. And she's like, whoa. Thank you so much for pointing that out because she had literally just got done having this conversation with this lady and I asked her if I could share this. She said yes. Becca's heart has had a burden for Africa since she was a child. And the Lord at different points has allowed her opportunities to go to Africa for some short trips. She spent a month back in, I think it was 2018 there. And in the coming months, she's going again for a little period of time, about a week to two weeks. And the lady was asking her, why would you do that? Now, this lady, according to Becca, professes to be a believer. She's like, but why would you do that? Aren't you scared? Like, you're, you're going by yourself to Africa on, on a trip, and like, there's dangers that come with that. What if you get sick? Like, what if you get something there and, and you come back and you lose your life? Like, why? And it was taking everything in Becca's power not to just be like, you don't understand. And Becca looked at me and she said, God has placed such a burden for the people of Africa on my heart. I can't say no. Despite what may happen to me while I'm there, I can't say no. Despite the illness that I may get while I'm there, nothing may happen to me. But no matter what, who cares at the end of the day, I'm doing what God wants me to do to make his name known to the people of Africa. And I left from there yesterday knowing what we were looking at today, thinking about this life of Paul and this example of his boldness and his willingness to have this open-handed approach to living his life. And I couldn't help but say, thank you, Lord, and I'm sorry. Because how many times have I not had that type of response? How many times have we not had that type of response? You may be sitting there, you may be thinking, well, Brian, God's not called me to Africa. That's okay. But if you have breath in your lungs and you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, he has called you to go to the next cubicle. He has called you to go down the server line. He has called you to walk down the street. He has called you to go down the hallway. There are people that we love that are far from God, but close to us, that we need to model this in our lives for. We are not responsible for their salvation. You've heard us say that again and again and again. What we are responsible for is doing what the Lord has called us to do, and that is to take the gospel where we go. With that said, we must be a people of prayer asking the Lord what it is that he would want us to do. We must be a people who are authentic in our pursuit of Jesus, dying to self and pursuing whatever he may ask of us. And in doing so, 
We must be a people, and do not miss this, please. We must be a people of ownership, taking ownership of the lostness around us. This means that we must get out of our comfort zones. This means that we must be bold. I pray that we all aren't clinging to the gift that's changed our lives for eternity. And instead we're saying, Lord, here am I. Send me. Would you pray with me? Father, I can't say it enough, but you are good. You are so good. And Lord, I thank you, God, for what you've been showing me in your word this week. I thank you, God, for what you showed to me yesterday sitting in a hair salon. Father, I pray that the heart's desire of your people in the sound of my voice would be to say, Lord, here am I. Send me. As the buts may arise of saying, yeah, but I can't, or what about, or Lord, as those things start to rise up in us and our thinking, maybe by what we hear from other people, Lord, may we be a people that say, yeah, but this is what God's called me to do. And Lord, may we be obedient to you. And Lord, I'm praying that, saying that from my mouth, myself, before our people too, Lord. This is all of us. May we take ownership of the lostness that's around us and take the good news of this gospel to every man, woman, and child in our circles of accountability so that they may have multiple opportunities to see hear, and respond to the gospel. Have your way in us these next few moments, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.